This is another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer for Baptist Memorial Healthcare. Hey, everybody. I'm H.F. Mason. I'm a General Surgeon and Chief Medical Officer for Baptist Memorial Hospital DeSoto. And hey, everyone. I'm Jake Lancaster. I'm an internal medicine physician and the Chief Medical Information Officer for the Baptist System. Well, today we are so excited and honored to have a friend that I actually met uh, in Tupelo, Mississippi. Now, the All reason right. that was a surprise is that Arno Aurelio, uh, and Arno, I may have said your last name incorrectly, but Arno uh, is from the Netherlands. So he's my Dutch engineer friend, and he's also the author of Lean Thinking for Emerging Healthcare Leaders. Arno, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me, Skip. It's so great that it's all, it's already five years since we met and uh, we kept on following each other. So finally, we got the opportunity to, uh, well, meet in person again. Thank you so much. Arno, uh, once again, thank, thanks a lot for being here. And I'll have you know that uh, Tupelo is about 20 miles from from my hometown. So oh, wow. it's, it, it's, 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 it's hard to believe that here I am talking to somebody in the Netherlands right now who was in Tupelo, Mississippi five years ago. That, that's, uh, that's pretty cool. But anyway, why don't you give us uh, a little bit about yourself? Tell, tell us what you do and, and um, share with us a little bit about that. Okay, so um, I'm currently in a, um, like a supportive role in a Belgian hospital just across the border here from my hometown. Uh, and uh, to get there as an engineer is was quite the journey. I have a degree in mechanical engineering and in innovation sciences. And um, I started my career in the automotive industry. And from there, I find out that I had two things that intrigued me. That was one process improvement. I wanted to do always better. And two, how to lead, because process improvement was either successful or most of the time unsuccessful, and most of the time it had to do with how people led, how I led or how I was being led. In both cases, it had uh, quite an impact on the ultimate result. And uh, because I have some trouble with hierarchy, I don't know how it, you probably as well, you're a physician. So I guess you have the same issues as I as an engineer. I don't like hierarchy, so I became a consultant. So I could be a partner of anybody. You, either you would be an operator or you would be a uh, CEO. It doesn't matter, I could always engage based on the content of the discussion and not my position in the company. You had you um, had no direct reports. You only had dotted lines. I like that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That, um, and I started my career in the what we currently would call lean consultancy. And uh, but it was actually not a consultancy firm I discovered because we didn't write any reports and we didn't give any presentations. So um, we did kind of stealth compared to companies like McKinsey. What we did is we went to the shop floor together with the, the people who ran the plant and we started asking questions to the operators. What are your problems? Why do you think that is? 
how could we solve them? And they had always answers. So what I discovered is that all the knowledge people need to become world-class is already inside the organization. We just need a method to un unleash it or, untap it or tap into it. And the more I learned about that, the more I discovered it had nothing to do with manufacturing. When I was in automotive, I thought, well, this, this can be only in automotive. Just in time is something that you need an assembly plant for. But it was not the case. And um, by the time that I got uh, three sons, it was uh, 2005, I regularly visit the hospital because, well, sons, so they sometimes break an arm of a, or a leg. And uh, what I discovered, well, I have to say, I felt terrible. When I visit the hospital, I thought, how is it possible that that in a place we deem so important, not only to me, but to our loved ones, that that there's no, uh, seem to be no system or not a system I could recognize that assured the quality of the things that would happen in the, there in that hospital. And because I was already a lean consultant and I was taught that there is a way to know whether you're doing the right things and whether you uh, how you can improve, I thought this is what I need to do. We need to teach hospitals and other healthcare facilities that, that you need a system that there's more to uh, making people better than just giving them the treatment. You need a process and a system to assure that you do the right thing for the right patients. And so that's when I got into what we currently would call lean, lean in healthcare. And um, I started off in the Netherlands and first we did some experimental projects and uh, and well, the more we did uh, these things, the more also the sector opened up to ideas from outside. I think that one of the most, still the biggest impediments to improvement in healthcare, from my perspective, of course, is that there's little to no adaptation of ideas from those that are not within the inner circle. So. Uh, I don't know if you recognize it, but I feel it as an engineer that there's always somebody asking, yeah, but do you have experience with this kind of process in healthcare? And if you don't, well, how can you possibly help me? Yeah, we definitely, um, we definitely hear that a lot. And, and, you know, it's one of the things that just intrigued me by your story is you got into lean process improvement in healthcare in, in the Netherlands. So you're telling me that the Netherlands has broken processes in healthcare. We've had a lot of people on the show from the United States and we're well aware, the world is well aware of our <laughs> broken healthcare system. But you, I thought everything was perfect over in Europe. Are you telling me that's not true? No, I'm very sorry to uh, tell you. So whenever you have the courage to come to Europe, know that you bring your own uh, kit of uh, the emergency kit. So to be sure that... The <laughs> <laughs> that you can help yourself now. I, I guess that uh, healthcare, it doesn't really matter where you get healthcare. Most of the, the way it's organized is, it's, well, 
it's a, it's the same everywhere. But you can learn some things from the different systems that countries have. Like uh, I guess that we have a very good family physician system because um, the family physician is free. So there is like a gatekeeping and everybody who has complaints or doesn't feel well or maybe has uh, some uh, difficulty in their life, they can always go to the doctor and to figure out whether there's something bad happening to them or not. So, but as soon as you get into a hospital, I guess the hospitals in the Netherlands are almost the same as uh, they are in the US in the sense that they are also pretty much siloed. Uh, the physician have a, a different organization. They're not really part of the hospital. And that makes it very difficult to join the, to connect the dots maybe to uh, give a shout out to your podcast name, <laughs> um, to, uh, to have people get a joint purpose. So to go already a bit in the, in what I learned along the way is that I think that is the most important thing you can do if you want to change something for the better with, with your colleagues, start with something like a joint purpose, because it's there. If you ask somebody for, uh, whether they do it for the patient, in fact, everybody's doing that, but the behavior is not always in that direction. So that's a good place to start. I figured out. Why do you think, you know, we've had, we've had several people on this, on this podcast and, and we've, we've mentioned several times that the, the healthcare industry is lagging 30, 40, maybe even 50 years behind when it comes to quote unquote lean uh, thinking and, and lean systems uh, lagging so far behind other sectors. Why do you think, why do you think that is? Why, why has there been such resistance? I don't, and I don't know if resistance is the right word, but why has there been, been that lag? Why has it taken us so long to, to I realize? Think that, well, uh, I think it has to do with the fact that um, the process thinking is not part of, well, it's not a part of the healthcare system. So uh, when you go into manufacturing, at least people understand that uh, to have operators build a product, they need a process. And that's more evident because uh, the customer is somewhere outside. So we can do our technical thing and then we give the product to the, um, well, to the customer in the end. Whereas in healthcare, of course, because you're directly working with patients, um, that has all the focus. But, and so, we for, but we forgot that it, that it needs a, a process. I think that that knowledge is lacking. So if you want to work in healthcare as a physician or as a nurse, then you're educated only on the content of your job, but not on the process of your job. So, and, uh, when I think of, uh, you could compare it, 
I like to, I do so in my books that um, to, to get the content or let's say your knowledge about how to uh, do a, a, an operation, to move the content from A to B to get to your goal, you need the content, you need something to hold the content and you need wheels to move it. And in healthcare, we have the content and we have the carriage that keeps the content like procedures, protocols, uh, all kind of contracts and uh, with insurance companies. So we have the structure, but we don't have the wheels. So we don't have something that makes it easy to move. And that the consequence of that is that the patients are your wheels. I was the victim, I could say, of a medical error. And I was the one coordinating the problem solving. I was the one who took the information from my surgeon to the anesthesiologist and to the neurologist and to the... So I think the biggest problem is that you have the patient do the process. The patient is the process. Mm. But the patient is a, a, a vulnerable, uh, often scared and dependent person. So how, so it's, yeah, it's actually very strange that yeah. people in that condition that we have, we put the responsibility of moving the process forward. We have put it in the hands of the patient. Yeah, it's very, very sad, the, the number of silos we have. I mean, even within one hospital, on numerous occasions, I've had to ask the patient, oh, oh the cardiologist just saw you, what would they say? What's their plan? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> how yeah, how yeah. terrible is that, that we put the patient yeah, in, that, in that situation? Yeah, so that's, uh, so in short, that's what's missing. Well, you know, um, I know you're our first international guest, and I, I just want to say, you know, I'm very um, impressed by your dedication. I mean, it's 9 p.m. on a Friday night where you are. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, thank yeah, you so. for, for being yeah, with us. You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah, well, Wonder that's what you do for friends. That's what you do for friends. So. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate it. Um, you know, one of the questions I have is, you know, really wanting to you know, dive into some of these international comparisons. You did lean process improvement in the Netherlands, and then you came to the U.S. Um, what sort of obstacles did you find in the US that you didn't find there? And, uh, you know, maybe maybe some things are easier to get done here than than there. What can you tell us about the differences? Well, I, I think that um, the problem in the US, as far as I can see it, I have little experience in the US. I have most from books and from some discussions on conferences and maybe visiting a hospital or two. But I think your problem is, is that you don't mind that people making a lot of money out of the vulnerability of people. So in the Netherlands, we have there's a, a at least there is a system that to assure that um, that we keep it affordable for those in need. And I mean. We have, uh, let's just uh, for argument's sake, say we have the same quality level in the US and the Netherlands, but you have twice the cost. 
And one of the reasons is because it's okay to for pharmaceutical companies to have a 30% uh, year over year profit margin. Whereas hospitals, they're scrambling to get maybe one or 2%. I don't know, if, I, I, probably it's the case with you as well. So, so there's all kind of parties um, profiting for the fact that, uh, and we do it, uh, we do it to ourselves because in healthcare is so special that we require our suppliers to be monopolists. And because they're monopolists, they can ask anything because we're willing to pay it. So, and in the Netherlands, I think we're just a little bit better in um, containing that need to make more and more money by the people who are not directly helping patients but sending us their medication or sending their equipment or sending their does that make sense absolutely that that makes sense and and you know that we have the um we have the traditional fee for service meaning that you you see patients you do operations you do procedures and you get paid for it regardless regardless of the outcome, regardless of the quality that you that you were uh, delivering. Now, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on 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 who you are and how you look at it, uh, that is changing. We're, we're uh, you know, we're moving toward more pay for performance and pay for quality. And, and I think I think until. We all have a we all have a higher stake in it, or as we say, we have more skin in the game and we stand to lose more that, uh, that we're not going to, we're not going to improve as, as, as quickly or as much as we'd like. What do you think about that, Jake? No. Yeah. I mean, we've been, unfortunately though, we've been moving towards this, uh, more quality and, and value-based, um, way of doing things for for a long time, you know, we've been talking about moving to it for, you know, at least the 15 years where I've been really involved in healthcare. And uh, I know more and more every year, but it's still, we're still majority fee for service. And um, yeah, well, I, I don't know if that's helping. Yeah, yeah I, but I think it has to do with, um, it has a lot to do with the mindset. So the, the, the question is, are we willing to sacrifice ourselves or our or maybe even our income to give people access to healthcare and we really have to talk long and intense about it because if you see uh, i don't know in the us but in the netherlands if you compare uh, to maybe to put uh, i don't no, i don't know the american expression but maybe to put some pepper in it um if you compare um physician salaries to nurse salaries. I think in the Netherlands, it's two, two to maybe somewhere between two times to uh, 20 times more money for the physician. But we have the biggest issue with getting nurses, especially now with COVID. We found out that uh, our ICUs were understaffed we knew this already, but now we couldn't hide it anymore. So we have to maybe even rethink who's providing which value. If that uh, it's not too socialistic for you. 
I don't know. No, uh, oh, yeah, uh, we've, so, we've had a pretty what, intense nursing shortage here, and I, you know, yeah. I know a lot of our yeah, so, hospitals would much rather have more uh, nurses than more physicians right at the moment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so there's a, I think there's a lot of, but more importantly, uh, I think that to help health systems or hospitals like you move forward, uh, this is a system discussion that is. Uh, uh, political and we should leave it up to the government maybe. Uh, but what you can do is make sure that you have a Kaizen mindset so that that improving things for the patient is front and center. And if you derive everything you do from that, then costs will go down as well. And people will uh, maybe put more or, le or less of their attention in whether they're uh, getting enough uh, money out of the system. Um, I, we have in a, some of the um, physicians have fee for service here in the Netherlands as well. And um, I understand them because nothing is more problematic than than uncertainty over money, even if it's a lot of money. But just not knowing how much you're going to make is uh, making some physicians nervous, making them uh, do overtime to make sure that they see enough patients. Uh, and the question is, well, is this what we need from our doctors? Or do we something? Do we need something else? And have we maybe uh, guarantee them more that their salary is taken care of so they can take care of patients? That that's the direction I'm thinking. Arno, uh, I'm at a, at a curiosity. What has uh, what's it been like in healthcare in the Netherlands when it comes to the pandemic? Uh, you know, we know in the United States, uh, for our organization, we've been very blessed in that we we never ran out of PPE. We we had amazing leadership that really showed their leadership during the pandemic and continues to do that. Um, we have seen. You know, our technology with uh, virtual visits and other things I could, I could go on and on uh, in some respects being moved forward through the pandemic. What has it been like from your perspective in the Netherlands when it comes to healthcare during this pandemic? I, I guess it's a bit similar in the sense that um, there's two. Uh, well, first of all, it's, it was a great. Uh, lean project, the pandemic, because uh, the goal of the Toyota production system is to make problems visible. Well, they became visible because uh, our system was, uh, we, we found out that we were way much too much focused on efficiency. So we had too little ICU beds, we had too little PPE, we had nothing of anything. And uh, we had great leadership inside the hospitals because now suddenly everybody had the same goal. So all the silos disappeared because there was one goal that's making sure that we can address this huge flow of very sick people, of uh, and especially in the beginning of the pandemic, we didn't know much about it. So suddenly we had to learn together 
and inside the hospitals that went very well, but uh, that also was, well, made visible that outside of the hospitals, so let's say the government and everybody that had to work around it to get these hospitals what they needed, that was terrible. And I think I started my uh, my introduction with uh, that I believe that all the knowledge you need to be world class is already available. And our government failed to use it. So mm. I think that uh, as far as I could follow the US, I think you did a better job, at least in some regions or maybe even in your hospital to um, to make the community and maybe even manufacturing companies who didn't know how to make PPE or didn't know how to make uh, uh, ventilation systems, that they changed their process overnight almost to facilitate healthcare. None of that was in the Netherlands, that was all uh, not necessary or I don't know, but for some reason, many uh, of our uh, public uh, employees thought they could could or should probably do it themselves because they were responsible. So I, so I have a double feeling about this. Um, great for, for hospitals, but for the support system of hospitals to get what they need, I I think we failed. Arno, um, as a you know, as a consultant and as a a, co a, a coach on on lean thinking, especially in healthcare, and somebody who's you know, I, I've read your book, uh, Lean Thinking for Emerging Healthcare Leaders, and I I, I want to put a plug in that while you're here. Uh, oh, thank it's, you. It's a it's a good book, but you know, uh, most of us physicians, we didn't receive any training like this at all. In, no. in 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 our medical training and, and you know this this is here to stay and and this is the way healthcare is moving what what are what is some advice that you could give to physicians who are wanting to you know develop themselves into into leaders in medicine you know with lean thinking and with process improvement H how would you recommend that they start um, well, they need one thing first, that is that they, um, they're open to learning. So they, uh, so if you're a physician and you're listening to this podcast, or maybe you, Jake, or, uh, at what, think about, are you willing to learn? If you're not willing to learn, then don't embark on this journey because it will take a lot of learning. And if you're willing to learn, then my first advice would be just go and see wherever you think the problem is or might be just observe the work if if your uh, secretary is complaining that your uh, that your schedule is too full or just ask her can you show me and what do you think the problems are and how do you think we can fix it so that those would but it starts with the openness to learning. If you're not willing to learn, then don't bother. I would mm. say. It's a uh, good answer. I saw on one of your um, blog posts, uh, I think it was 
it back in February where you talked about the circle of misery in healthcare. Can you tell us yeah. what that is and, and how we <laughs> yeah. can get out of the yeah, circle? Sure. Well, Jake, I think we're all familiar so, with that. So, There's so many the circle circles of misery. Of misery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm so the circle of misery, it's, uh, it's uh, like a pattern we're in where everything, so in healthcare, we don't have any problems. I mean, if I ask somebody what's the problem, they, they normally say, well, we're, we're, we're doing very well. So uh, unless somebody needs money. So we might have, <laughs> a, so as soon as somebody gets a budget, then he has a problem because it's the budget is never what he needs or what he, what he figured. So, and then if you have a budget problem, so you have a financial problem, uh, the most obvious um, course of uh, action is to cut the budget or to freeze somebody's expenditure or whatever. So, and what that does is that it's not saving costs, but it's keeping the money in the coffers. And that me and that means that um, if if you keep the money in the coffers, that means that your nurses and physicians have less leeway to help patients. And if they have less leeway and less resources to help patients, that means that quality will go down. And if quality goes down, that means that patients and your colleagues will start complaining. And if they complain very hard or, if you, or you make a big mistake, then the inspectorate comes or maybe the, the ministry or whoever to tell you that you need to do better and that you have to follow these new protocols. And these protocols make your costs go up, which can then again put you into financial misery. And because we have this pattern, this is keep on, this is continuing. So the only thing that's happening is that the, that the money is going around the different budgets, but nothing is really changing. So that's about the circle of misery. Well, so, uh, if, if Kimberly, Kimberly, if you're out there listening, I, I, I want you to open up those coffers. Yeah. Turn the circle <laughs> yeah. of misery into the circle of life, Kimberly. Exactly. Well, uh, well, Arno, I want to thank you so much. Uh, uh, you know, uh, thank you for coming on. You're our very first international guest. And, you know, on behalf of Baptist Memorial Healthcare and uh, my two physician friends from Mississippi, I'll end it by saying thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, have, a, have a great day, my friend. Elvis has left the building. Yeah. So thank you Thanks, very Arno. much. We enjoyed it. Was it. Awesome. Yeah, it was thank great. you.